Hey, this is David Ellison from Megadeth here. It is time to focus on metal. Hey, Metalheads, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another week of Focus on Metal. And this week, we continue where we left off last week with our talk with concert promoter Danny Zalisco. Now, if you missed part one, then you definitely want to go over to either our iTunes channel or over to FocusOnMetalPod.com and check out episode 498, and that'll catch you up to this week's episode. But of course, if you're listening to us on one of our radio partners, don't do that right now, although pretty much I'm guessing that you already heard last week's one and that you're hopefully a regular listener on any of the awesome stations that play us. But if not, then I would say that after this, You might miss a few things, but then go back. But don't change the channel right now. Stay right here and hear the rest of our talk with, as I said, legendary concert promoter Danny Zalisco. He uh, just put out a book a little while back called All Excess, Occupation Concert Promoter. And it's a book that is packed with stories, packed, I mean, really packed with photos a lot of good stuff, and you were getting just a little bit of insight to that between what we talked with Danny about last week and this week. And as I mentioned last week as well, if you want to pick up your own copy of the book direct from the source, you can go to dzplive.com. Top of the page, click over to the merch thing, and it will bring you there where you can buy your own copy of All Excess. And besides lots of great stories and stuff this week, We also have a lot of talk with Danny about the cost industry, maybe the whole post-COVID landscape and all that. So much more than just Richie and I postulating about what might be. Here's an insider that's giving his opinion. So if you are really wondering what might go on, then definitely want to stick around for the tail end of this discussion where Danny gives us his thoughts and uh, all of that good stuff about the post-COVID concert landscape so we ended last week where danny was uh reminiscing about his times with uh, the crew and you know just the 80s in general and he ended up with a little mystery question and that's where i cut it off so this week we're going to pick up right from there the 80s were just so fantastic between the likes of them and um white snake scorps judas who else who am i missing iron maiden maiden oh fuck Jesus. Yeah. They were so good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I had Maiden and Priest once. Priest was maybe five grand and Maiden was ten. <laughs> uh, and I, I think we charged six and a half bucks for the tickets, nine dollars day of show. I'm going to get you for not buying your ticket in advance. Wow. Did you, what, what, did you have a good relationship with Rod Smallwood, the Maiden manager? I had a fantastic relationship with him for years. And rather than get into it, because I, I, you know, like the book, if you notice in the book, I don't go trashing people because I have the ability to, because I'm writing the book. Mm. Just like Rod could reach out and smash me right now if he wanted to. Let's go like this. He built up one of the greatest, biggest businesses from nothing of anybody I've ever known. And, and, And he represented this band like he was a member in the band. 
So to that, I give him kudos. There was a misunderstanding and a breakdown some years later, way later. And unfortunately, uh, I haven't spoken to him since then. That's, that's not my doing. But bottom line, again, here's, here's a situation or, or a thing where Live Nation steps in and, and they employed me in between all that. So like I was one of them, they were one of me, and we were all together, and suddenly I'm not there anymore, and this is one of those things where I don't work with them anymore, but uh, I never say never. I, I loved Iron Maiden, and I, and, and I loved Rod. He was a great guy. He was a great friend to me. Mm. I hope he straightens out and flies right. Danny, how well did you know Eddie Van Halen? I didn't know him very well at all. We did a bunch of shows together over the years with Dave and then Sam, and we even did one with Gary. I didn't get to spend anywhere near enough time with him. I mean, it was just, you know, hello, goodbye. Um, I think maybe we had a joint once here in Phoenix. In fact, I know we did. But I I never got to hang out with him and and become friends with him, sadly, because uh, my friend Pat Leonard, who's uh, the co-writer on all the Madonna songs, and him became great friends, and they invited me to come over and do dinner with him and hang out in L.A. and stuff, and I I never did it. And here we are all of a sudden, you know, he's in his 60s and he's dead, and it's so sad. What a genius. What a genius player. My favorite bit, though, was to taunt him with Tony Iommi's words. And he goes, what are those? And I said, well, Tony says you copied every lick he ever did. <laughs> 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 and, 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 and at first, he got excited about it. And he goes, you know, if somebody's going to insult you and call you a copycat, it might as well be Tony Iommi. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's better than Tony. Yeah. Do you know, I, mean, I, I don't You know, you can put everybody up in metal. But who's better than him? Well, he, everyone says he's the originator of the, the whole genre. He is. And, and it was before it was called that, way before it was called that. Yeah, yeah. I was into them from the very minute they came out with that first record. Um, and, and that was, you know, the psychedelic period where well, all of us in Chicago were enjoying all different kinds of things. Uh, there, there's nothing like the first Black Sabbath and then, of course, the second one. Danny, I'm going to throw two more names at you and then I might have a question or two and we'll wrap it up. Um, Ozzy Osbourne. Another one of my faves. You know, if Sharon knew I was out with him and then he came home like really late or in his case, really early <laughs> or not at all, guess who got the call about being blamed? Uh, that would be you. I'm supposed to be the responsible one. <laughs> Danny, you're not in the bank. <laughs> you're his promoter. You shouldn't be out with him till 7 a.m. I said, well... Who's going to look after him? He goes, you call that looking after him. I said, can you believe where he'd be right now if I wasn't there? I said, I'm serious. He could do me under the, I mean, completely drink me under the table or, or whatever, let's say. Yeah. What a great mate to go out and have fun with, man. Come on. I've been told by a lot of musicians and writers that he's the same guy. He's been the same guy forever that there's no real errors and graces about it let me tell you something there's a lot of other people out there who could probably consider themselves smarter or more concise or you know above him many of which can't remember my name he does and it's for no reason other than the fact that we've done tremendous business together ever since he first started uh not not with sabbath i i wasn't I wasn't quite on board for Sabbath in the 70s. I was uh, I was still going to see them. 
But uh, I, I got to do Ozzy uh, starting with Blizzard of Oz, and, and I did all the shows after that. And I loved him. Uh, I still love him, and, and we're great. Sharon's going through some crap right now. With Sharon, just, she just lets it rip, man. Yeah. She don't care. Hmm. She don't care. The lot, the lot. And, and, and she'll say what's on her mind at any given Look, she had to live with Ozzy all these years. Yeah. Can you imagine? I love Ozzy to death, but I can't imagine having to look after him 24 seven. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> the now, lot. Like everything else, I'm sure it's calmed down. I hope. Yeah. Um, now, and now it's her we got to be looking out for. <laughs> yeah. The, the last name I'm going to throw at you, Danny, and I know he's a friend of yours because it definitely comes across in the book, is Alice Cooper. Right. It's been uh, in May, 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 May 3rd. It will be 48 years. How is that possible? 48 years ago, I walked into his dressing room in Tucson. And, and I swear to God, and I'm not kidding, like a scene out of Wayne's world. I walk in, it's like, Oops, sorry. No, come on in. Come in. Yeah, have a beer with me. Come in and have a beer with Alice Cooper. Yeah, and, and that's, that's that's what started it off. Um, I would say uh, anybody who's still in this business that thinks of themselves as a hard rocker, if they don't know him or study him, they haven't done their homework. Okay. Because, because he is the reason so many groups... I think, you know, are out there or were influenced. I mean, who doesn't love Alice? Is there anyone? I mean, and I, I'd punch him if they said it. <laughs> he's a great guy. He, he's a great family man, and he's a great friend. And, and he's not a bad golfer. Actually, he's a better scorekeeper than he is a golfer because he, he certainly can't keep score. Alice to the Alice and his family, especially him and Carol, to the moon and back. Yeah, I, I, I've spoken to a few musicians who played with him over the years, and I've asked him how to play golf with him, and he'll get up at like five o'clock in the morning to get a couple of rounds of golf in. Do you know why he does that? No, why? Because he wants to be the first one off. So he gets there at 6, 6.30, whenever the sun rises, whenever the frost is lifted, whenever, <laughs> whenever, whenever. So he's the first one off, him and his boys, every now and then I'm one of his boys. I, I can't keep up with him. I got to work for a living. He doesn't work. <laughs> and he's done, you know, like say he starts at 6.30, they're done by 9. They do 18 holes, there's no one in front of them, boom, off they go. And and I I swear to God, man, this guy will hit on a bad day. He'll hit fourteen fairways out of eighteen. It's crazy how good he is. Mm. Solid though, not not like Tiger Woods good, but like better than anybody you play with. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. great fun, and it, it's great fun because we'll get into start you know yelling out names of of singles or bands. Who, who are like one-hit wonders, and we'll do the whole round giving ourselves a music exam. Because, you know, Alice, you know, he does his, TV, his radio show, which of course yeah. you're aware of. Yeah, yeah. And we sharpen each other up with that. Yeah, nice. He's great at it. He's a great student. Yeah, nice. Danny, I got one or two questions before I go. You see a lot of live band, bands now, and they're, they're getting help. And I know over the years... Who's getting help? No, what I mean is, like, they're, they're, using, they're being accused of using tapes 
even when it comes to the live vocals now that some of them are being accused of lip syncing. Now, you're a fan of the live of live music and a live band. Where do you stand with all of that? Good question. Um, you know, when I go to a live show, I want to see everything played live. I want whatever's coming out through the speakers. I really want to, I want to see what's going on. Why does it sound like that? However, there's a lot of sounds <laughs> that are made you can't replicate on stage. Mm. I mean, does anybody think Queen didn't use tapes? Hey, now. Come on. Yeah. Half their show is on tape. Sorry. I mean, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of effects. But Jimi Hendrix used effects. Everybody uses effects. So I don't put down anybody who does everything they can with the equipment that's available to them to make their show as great as possible. I don't go for lip syncing. I don't go for playing to a tape or playing. You know, if somebody says we're going to play the track, that's, you know, it's like a, a rap group or, or somebody who, do, who doesn't have a band on the road with them. No bands I work with lip sync and play the tape. If they have some stuff in the background that enhances the sound, who cares? I don't care. But I don't want to see somebody like doing what I could do or you could do, which would be stand up and lip sync and, and play air guitar. Yeah. That ain't, that ain't happening. Mm. You know, but, but the rest of it, you know, I, I, I think whatever people have to do to, to pull off a show uh, in front of an audience, entertain them the best you can. Do everything you can. And, and if that includes flying in some extra tracks, I don't care. Mm. People have been doing that for years, by the way, and, and for the most part, some are better than others. You never notice. You don't know. Mm. They, but they have these magicians, scientists, production manager, uh, like unbelievable mixers that they can do unbelievable things to make that sound sound, you know, the way that you want to hear it. Mm. And, and, and for, so for that reason, I agree it's okay. Mm. Danny, do you think in some ways that the live show now, that it's conformed a lot, that all the shows are the same now, night after night after night, that they're all choreographed so much that, you know, the, the uniqueness of it is gone in, in a way, that your, the show you'd book would be different to the one the following night with the same band, they might play different songs the following night, that... A lot of the shows now, the bands play the same songs night after night after night, that they're all the same. Well, look, most of the groups, let's talk about arena groups or bigger. Those groups um, have been touring for a while, presumably, right? Mm. You know, and then they, they got a crew and they got everybody else. You, you got your lighting guys, your sound guys, you got all this stuff. You could have 20 people working behind you as a serious arena rock headliner. There has to be some semblance of, of organization mm. that goes on. You can't do the effects and the special things throughout a show like on the spur of the moment. They all got to be planned. Yeah. There's a lot of careful navigation that goes on when you start blowing stuff up. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So bottom line, you're going to have these... Um, these bands out there that can that can apparently do magic and, and, and seem to do that you know at any given time. I always say no show is ever the same. I, I like to think of them like baseball games or football games. Yeah, it's a concert. Yeah, it's a football game. Yeah, it's a baseball game. But that's where the similarity to the other stops. Every show is different. Different stuff happens. People, you know, jump on stage during the show. Um, some chick 
flashes her, her chest to the cameraman, and they flash that on the screen. And the band sees it, and it changes their whole attitude. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. But that's the brilliance and the beauty of a concert. They're never exactly the same. Okay. They're, they're like their own their own starship enterprise. You know? <laughs> yeah. They're different. Yeah, it's the same song. But, you know, look at those lights up there. And you got 350 moving lights, right? They have to program those. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't just say, let's do this tonight. Let's make Mick green <laughs> right here. You know, that ain't going to happen. There, there has to be, in order to do a professional show and to maintain that integrity of what fans know prior to going to buying a ticket to see anybody, you know, there's a certain quality that's, that's been presented in the press or in social media these days where you, you better be great. You just better be great every night. Never, you know, the shows are never identical, but there's, there's a lot of them that are very much the same, but it isn't because they're just playing to tape. It's just because, you know, the, all those people, all those moving parts, they got to have some semblance of order. And if you don't have it, you got mayhem and a crummy show. Do, do you think in some ways, Danny, that it, it's become too corporate, that the first five rows, you know, the people who say that the real fans years ago used to be able to get the, the good seats right. in the front. And, and now a lot of them are corporates that, and I know Bruce Dickinson has called them out on stage saying, you know, why don't you just give the seats to, to the real fans? You're not even watching the band. Well, you know, there used to be, you know, you know, there used to be tens of thousands of delicatessens in America. Mm-hmm. And over the year, you know, when, when, when people with more money than the people with the delicatessens, before they knew that this was going to be a big business, they just went about their business and they did their mom and pop deli. And all of a sudden, they go, wow, there's 150 delis in, in a one-mile square radius in Chicago. Why don't we start Circle K? And that's what happens. The corporate environment takes over. And the next thing you know, whatever, whatever was pure, whatever was real out of whatever it was that you loved at your favorite deli, now you had to go to Circle K and they didn't have half the stuff you wanted. Uh. It's a difficult thing to stop in a capitalistic society such as what we live in, something gets popular one minute, it was under the radar, nobody cared. And the next minute it was on fire. And now people with money go, I can do that. And that's what they do. And they get involved in all of our most unique spaces, which includes music. Music and commerce were never supposed to meet. And they did. And and sometimes with you know good results and oftentimes with not so good. Mm. It's not an easy uh, equation. Uh, Danny, is the meet and greet something that you're involved with at a show as well, or is that outside your remit? It's a uh, hateful part of my existence. Okay. Um, I I love it when a band or an artist will uh, meet their fans. I, I love being able to offer like a radio station, like, hey, uh, how would you like to offer two fans the ability to come backstage and have a drink with Eddie Van Halen? Yeah, sure. And you know, Eddie, <laughs> Eddie never did those meet and greets. I don't think, I hope not. Uh, I don't remember. I don't think people, you're, I'm conflicted with the question, obviously. Yeah. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
we put out tickets and, and we are painstakingly tight about what we want to charge. We announce a show, we put the show on sale, and every stupid-ass scalper gets in there and, and tries to get all those good seats. So we're sitting there trying to price them to the public at 75 and 100 nowadays 150 200 No matter what you charge, somebody else is going to be out there selling it for more. And, it, and it's the hardest It's the hardest thing to deal with from a, a promoter's, you know, angle because it, it, it inappropriately makes the artist worth more and they're not, they're not worth, you know, that much times 10,000 tickets, maybe times a hundred tickets, but not 10,000. It screws the whole balance up of the whole business. So now you're going to charge 50 people, $500, $1,000 to come backstage and say hello, shake your hand and get a picture. And then tell me I'm going to orchestrate it for you and I'm not going to receive a dime of that effort, blow me. Mm. That's a blow me. Yeah. It's not fair. I'm bankrolling the show, and you're going to make me work for you to get you more money and not give me a piece of it. I didn't. Me. Da- Danny, I didn't know that. Oh, it's true. Well, it's wow. True. Wow. I would dare say most bands don't even know that that's going on, or to a degree they don't know what's going on, and to a degree they don't. But that's what's going on. It's the same thing with ticket prices. You have to figure out what makes sense. And, and after you do this for a while, as a manager or, or an agent or a promoter, you know you know what you should charge and what would be wrong to charge and how to handle things. And you can do it in a very kind of a quiet, under-the-radar sort of way. But I'll tell you what, when I'm, you know, that's one part of the business I don't miss so much because I don't have to deal with that at the at the middle level so much. But at the upper level, that's one of those things that the bands have uh, learned to enjoy or want as far as the income goes of, of making extra money like that. So I uh, personally, I think that that privilege should be reserved for fans who figure out how to win a contest because that gives me a good ability to help promote that date because with, with that kind of a promotion, I can call a radio station and say, Hey, will you give me a hundred spots to promote? So-and-so is going to meet four people and we're going to give them front row tickets and we're going to give them a dinner somewhere and you make a great promotion out of it. Yeah. I can't do that. It's, it, it's almost impossible to do. I swear to God, this has happened where I've said to people, I want to give the radio station a couple of meet and greet to promote the show. Uh, you're going to have to pay for it. What? <laughs> I got to pay $500 for each person that I want to, if I want to give away. Yeah. Yeah. You have to pay for that because what's going to happen is they'll only meet so many people at night and you got to pay for it. Otherwise they're at a loss. Wait a minute. I'm already paying them. Yeah. To do the show. <laughs> You know, and the sad thing is, it, it, it's one of those, it's one of those wicked, you know, things where there's no right answer, you know, at a time. Um, the band likes meeting people. They like having a schedule. They'll they'll sign autographs. They'll take pictures. They'll kiss babies, and they're making extra money for it. And at the end of the tour, 
somebody can point to a number on a ledger sheet and say, that's how much you earned as your part of doing those meet and greets. And that's what's going in your pocket. And it wouldn't have been there if you didn't do that. Uh. And you know, end of the day, bottom line, it's what the business has grown into. Uh, I was going to say matured into, but that doesn't sound very mature to me. <laughs> um, can you tell I hate that? Yeah. I don't think people should be charged for meeting their idols. I think they should pay them. That's what I think. Mm. And, and if Ronnie Dio ever had a chance to pay somebody for listening to him, he would. It's so funny. I just went to the cupboard to pull out a, a drink, and it was a cup that Ronnie gave me. It says, see you. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, it's got a, a black C for the cup holder, and then it says you and <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. He, he, he gave, this cup came from about 25 years ago. Okay. Ah, Lovely. Fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. So, so tell me something. Hmm. Have you ever promoted a show? No, never. Are you going to? Uh, I'm nearly 50, so unlikely. <laughs> oh, listen, uh, listen, old man, I'm, on, I'm going on 67. And <laughs> you know what? You ought to do it. You ought to do it just for fun. Why, you know, you've got a lot of good mates in the business, I'm sure. Why don't, you know, there must be a place where they need a fill-in date. <laughs> yes, you know, if, if I could do something right now, I'm not talking about if I could do it all over again. If I could do something right now, I would go around the country and I would find 20 tertiary markets, 30. And by tertiary, I mean, like, for, for Phoenix, there's Tucson. That's the secondary market. The tertiary market is Flagstaff, okay? Mm-hmm. I'd like to find 30 or 40 Flagstaffs and take and make promoters there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's where the bands need jobs. That's where they need to fill in tour dates. Everybody wants to put on a show in Phoenix or Chicago or L.A. Try putting one on in Flagstaff. I've done it. I'm, I'm good at it. I mean, I can do it. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's really quite remarkable. I mean, there's so many markets in this country under service by promoters. Everybody wants to be in the city they grew up in or the one they live in or whatever. You're not going to get there. Not with a live nation around or a solid local promoter. But there's a million markets out there. <laughs> there's so many places you can play. Danny, when, when do you think you're going to stop promoting? You must have thought about it. Well, 2021. <laughs> uh, I'd like to say next year. <laughs> okay. But I, but I won't because it won't happen. I, I've i got shows booked from last year that I have now moved three, four, five times yeah. to this year and next year. And you know what? Here's the good news, kids. We're going to all live and be there when this comes back. You know, I, I'm finding out right now, right now in March, there's people in the outskirts of the big cities doing shows all the time and flying under the radar, which kind of bugs me because a lot of what's going on right now, pandemic-wise, is coming out of smaller cities because they're looser than big cities because they think big cities are where the problems are. They're everywhere. And it ain't over yet. And people are starting to behave like they are, like it is. Hmm. And it's not. It's not. All we need to do is have another collapse and we're going to have to close up again. Yeah. So... I think everybody's acting crazy. Where where I'm sitting right now, I think everybody's out of their minds. And I'm sorry to say that because otherwise they're good people. But 
this would drive anybody mad. This would drive anybody insane. And I mean, and it's like it's like I feel like an altar boy or a boy scout or a whatever a priest. Well, maybe not a priest. Um, you know, I, I have about a hundred shows right now that I play hopscotch with on a calendar. And when I get within about six or eight weeks of that show, I got to move it again. It's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's a nightmare. It is truly a nightmare. And this is just all we're trying to do is put on some nice rock concerts, some nice parties, some good evenings out, some diversion from your normal day-to-day stuff. And, and it's really turned into a madness, you know. Mm, I think the, the um, I think the issue for 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 you and the business, Danny, is you have a lot of people hurting for money, and you want them to hang on to the tickets and not get a refund. And they are no, and they are. Do you know that? Yeah. Like I, I I didn't I haven't looked for about a week now, but the last time I looked last week, we were between seventy to ninety percent on every show of of what we were at at our peak ticket sales as of March 16th, 2020, which is the Monday where the world shut down mm. as far as live music goes. Mm-hmm. And I, I still have, I, I think the average is around 75%. Nice. Which is fantastic. All that's telling me is that everybody wants to see that show that they jockeyed in position for to get that ticket that they got. And then this whole thing that came out, it's like, in a weird way, I mean, it's affected everybody. It's not just the singers and, and the band members, and it's not just the promoters, it's everyone. And it's like, it's, it's come out, you know, and, and in the meantime, as you've noticed, and I'm sure it's happening in Boston the same way it's happening out here, the, the real estate market is on fire. I mean, you can't, you, you can't list a home and have it last for more than seven days unless it's a total big. Hmm you know, all over the country. And God, it makes me wish that six months ago I was smarter and used whatever money I had left and, and, and bought up a few houses or something. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Danny, do you, you, do, know, do, you think, huh? do you think that the market is going to be over flooded when it all opens up, that you're going to have every single band is going to want to get out on the road, that there's going well, to be too many I, concerts? I, I, I'll tell you what, right now, because there's still this period of indecision, Right now, right? Like, it's March, it's almost April, April, May. So I, I'm getting wiped out through June and July right now. I haven't killed August yet. But what I have done is all the shows that started last March, I've been flip-flopping over dates that are still flip-flopping. So the point is, is a lot of dates are already taken up by bands that have been trying to come here for the last year. Yeah. So... If I'm a band that doesn't have a date set in the market right now, I'm going to wait until that's all over. Because all those bands and all those fans deserve to have their shows come and go once and for all, where they get to see the show and it's done and it's over. And now let's look on to something new. Focus! I, I hope these shows get that benefit, you know, of getting that respect where they can, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, what, what if you have a show with somebody and then the Eagles new date is placed on top of yours. Yeah. And you want to go to the, you want to go to the Eagles too. Yeah. Or what if you have a ticket to both? Yeah, true. No, it, it's quite a dilemma. And, 
You know what? I'm looking forward to those dilemmas <laughs> because the dilemma I'm in right now really sucks. True. True. It really does. Yeah. Well, listen, Danny, it's been a pleasure. You give me way more time than I, I thought I'd get with you. It's been a pleasure talking My to pleasure, you. pleasure, bro. It's great, to, it's great talking. You ask, you ask a lot of great questions, and, and you got a good sense about you. I mean, I'll do this with you anytime you want. Mm. Um, do you have a, a so, social media site where people can buy the book or get in touch with you? DZPLive.com. Okay. Um, I'd be happy to sign it any way you want. Or uh, we also have... For your friends over in the UK, we have a print-on-demand through Amazon. Nice. And we also have Kindle through Amazon. Nice. It's an in- interesting thing. When I when I made the book, I made it in this landscape size so I could fit more pictures in and make full pages even bigger of the pictures. Because the, the pictures in the book are so important to me that I, I wanted to include as many as possible. There's over 700 photos in the book. Uh-huh. And it was very difficult to contain all of them with all those stories. And I had a, I actually banged out a few stories that I didn't think were as good as the pictures because I just didn't want to make the book any bigger than 350. <laughs> I tell you, Danny, it's, Danny, I'd love to... The, your memorabilia collection must be something else. Well, come out here anytime and look at it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'd, I'd be happy to show you. It, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I'm in the midst... Of, of trying to maneuver through selling it right now. Okay. Okay. Um, I, in fact, I should tell you, um, it, it, there's a company called Invaluable.com that does a lot of good auctions, and they made me a good deal. And and I'm putting up auctions. Uh, I, I'm doing my third one on Saturday, August the third, and it's called InvaluableAuctions.com, and it. 10 o'clock PST, so that would be 1 o'clock your time, uh-huh. on, on April 3rd, I'm putting up 200 items. And in the meantime, I'm adding a whole bunch of stuff to eBay, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm using uh, the, the name of my uh, auction house is Danny Zalisco's Closet. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and, and um, I'm, I, I want to I rid, let me put this mildly. I want to rid myself of all this stuff. <laughs> what I really mean to say is I want to share it <laughs> with the world <laughs> a- so they can own a piece of rock history. What I'm really trying to do is for the last mm, 30 years, I've, I've had to pay storage, one unit, two units, three units. I'm up to eight units of stuff, stuff that would blow your mind. Here's Danny, here's a hard question for you to finish. I have one whole room full of T-shirts. Wow. There must be 5,000. Here's a hard question to finish yeah. with, right? One piece of memorabilia that no matter what you wouldn't get rid of, what is it? Can I say it depends on the price? <laughs> uh, I got a 65 episode, Epiphone signed by the Beatles. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that'll do. <laughs> no, can you do the? Can you do it like Babe? That'll do, Pig. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's my favorite, and I got that off of somebody who won it in London on a radio contest. They won it by being the seventieth caller, and I and I bought it from them in uh, two thousand two. For four thousand dollars. 
It's worth more than that now. <laughs> I wouldn't take less than five grand. Mm. Yeah. At <laughs> last count, it's four million. Wow. And you know what? I can't retire on that, by the way. Uh, I, nobody's given me the four million yet. Mm. So, okay, so you only got three? Bring me the offer. <laughs> Other than that, it, it, it's so beautiful, dude. Uh, you know what? I'm going to send you a picture. If you if you get me your email, I'll, I'll send you a picture of this guitar. It's fascinating. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it, I'll email cause, it, will it, I? It's perfect. It's perfect, like... Beetle card signatures. I mean, they, they're not, you can't do better. These are them. Nice. They're perfect. Nice. And, and it, other stuff, other stuff other than that, though, is, um, you know, I, I've got some great Grateful Dead stuff and, oh, the main stuff I have. I have these posters that, to die for. They don't sign anything anymore. I don't know why. I think that's a rod thing, but I'm not sure. But they don't sign a whole lot of stuff. Um, the Maiden stuff is especially great. I've got some beautiful lithos and posters from them from, you know, back in the early 80s. Nice. Um, a lot of pre-stuff. Rob Halford lives right right around the corner from here. Okay. Nice. Um, I love him. He's such a nice man. Yeah, his book, his book is very good if you haven't read it. Well, I have. Uh, and it's so funny, both Brian Wheat and, and Rob and I have a book out at the same time, and we've all exchanged it with each other. It's great. I interviewed. So I, I interviewed it, Brian it, for the book. Like, it, 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 the first question that any of them ever asked me is like, "Did putting this out make you mental too?" <laughs> 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 I'll I'll, I love them. I'll tell you a quick story about Brian Wheat. When I when I spoke to Brian, I told him what I wasn't going to ask him about because everyone else was. And he ended up after the half hour, five minutes after it finished, he called me back and said, if you have any more questions, I'll keep talking to you. That never happens. I've done that, Brad, with uh, over 50% of the people I've talked to. Mm. All of them want more. And it's like, I didn't know we had a deadline. So let's <laughs> just keep going. If you know what I'm doing with, with tomorrow, um, there's a guy called Jeff Franklin. Do you know that name or not? Jeff Franklin, no. So Jeff Franklin was the owner and originator of a company called ATI. Do you know ATI? I've heard of it. He he started KISS. Ah. Ah. <laughs> and and he had he had this other stupid group called Earth, Wind and Fire. I've heard of them too. <laughs> and he put Earth, Wind and Fire out with KISS. What doesn't make more sense than that? <laughs> Two of the most flamboyant shows in the world. Uh, he said, I swear to God, he said to me uh, a couple days ago when we're, we, we did, I, I, he, he was so deep, I have to do part two. Same thing, because I'm, I'm doing a podcast called All Access for the Book. Oh, okay. I might have to call you back and interview you. <laughs> so... So, so we're talking the other day, and 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 Jeff was telling. He goes, he goes. I I, I had this this show that was the never ending show, and and I could adjust the order of the bands any way that the promoter wanted. I said, what was that? He goes, well, somebody that you've never heard of called Rory Gallagher. I said, shut the fuck up. You showed me Rory Gallagher. He goes, are you that old? 
<laughs> it was Rory Gallagher, Savoy Brown, and Deep Purple. And and in the mid seventies, you know, after Deep Purple had their smoke on the water thing, they were kind of done after uh, what Tokyo. And they had one more studio album after that that did okay, and after that they were dead. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Tokyo was a big record. And, uh, ah, Deep Purple. Roger and Ian were my best mates. Great people. God, what a band. Jesus. Fabulous. Right? They're still a fabulous yeah. band. And then the fucking Richie Blackmore. <laughs> <laughs> what a... Pe- so, so get this one. Um, can't remember the year. Can't remember the year. I, I, I could figure it out, but I can't right now. I had him in Albuquerque, Deep Purple. I don't know who was opening, and it was on that. Uh, what was that album called? Is it Perfect Strangers? In '84, yeah, Perfect Strangers. Right. Yeah. And that, was that the one that was before the live album, or was that the live album? Um, it was the first album they they recorded when they got back together with Richie. Right, right, right. And then the the live one came out after, right? Yes, it did. So. We're in Albuquerque, and I haven't seen these guys for a while. But, you know, they remember, and suddenly we're dredging up old stories that we were together with in the past. Dreadful, ugly stories. Dogs and cats lying together. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and we make these arrangements from Albuquerque. They're going to come from Albuquerque and pick me up in Phoenix at my house and take me to the gig because they wanted me in you know, by now we're all fucking high, right? We're crazy. And they go, we won't pick you up, right? And, and we'll take you to the gig and, and then we'll go on from there. Oh, I'm sorry. Albuquerque was the next day. We did Tucson the night before. So we're, the last day of the tour is Albuquerque. We're in, we're in Phoenix. Perfect. Everything's great. One in the morning, I get a call for me and and I go, what are you calling for so late? Do you want me to come over and be your wingman with someone? Or, you know, what's up? He goes, Richie broke his finger tonight. I go, when? He goes, remember when at the end of the show when he threw his guitar up in the air? It came down on his hand. He broke three fingers. <laughs> and that was the end of the tour. So I lost out. I lost 11,000 sold out the next night. Now uh. That was 50 grand. Ugh. That's all we could make on a show back then. Hmm. You know, on a good night. Ah, fuck. <laughs> Fucking Richie. You didn't like him? Well, it's not so much that. I, I really never knew him because I was always with Roger and Ian, and I think that pissed him off, right? Yeah. I mean, there's always, within groups, there's uh, little jealousy things. And... um I, I just wasn't his guy, but I, I love Roger. I mean, what a nice man, you know. And, and, and Ian is a gentleman, classic English guy. Um, he's had me up four different times to sing Smoke on the Water with him because I do it better than him. <laughs> you can tell by that voice. <laughs> it, it's funny, though, right? You know, it's like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little promoter and, and I, I, you know, I'll, I'll take off a shirt with buttons and put on a t-shirt and get on the stage and sing smoke on the water. I blew him off the stage one night. He was so upset with me. <laughs> he 
goes, I, I, I can't get over this unless you get me a bottle of something. And then I had to give him this like really expensive bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think we could, I think we could do another book if we wanted to. <laughs> I'd say you, you have, know, because you I'll, have, I'll tell you why I'm, I'm kind of semi, I'm semi serious. The way that I got this book out was I was watching Shark Tank one night and a friend of mine was on Shark Tank, a basketball player. And, and I stayed on watching it and it was one of the first times I'd seen the show and I loved the show, right? I watch it all the time now. And it is Bill Walton, who's this giant Grateful Dead fan who used to play for the Celtics. And right after that, there was a guy on there from Boston, another Boston guy, called Michael Levin. And and he did a thing called The Ghost Rider. And he tried to sell Mark Cuban and all those people on his ability to write your book for you. So the nice thing about Shark Tank is everybody's very literate, mostly. And and you can look up while you're watching the show, you can look up their websites, right? Mm. While you're watching them. Yeah. So I, I looked up this guy's website and he seemed legit. So the next day I called him. And then and the next day I made a deal with him and he helped me ghost write the book. That's how I got it done. Nice. You know, which is a weird story in itself. I mean, the whole thing is so weird. <laughs> but... <laughs> The bottom line is, is I still have a million pictures. I still have a million stories. And I wouldn't ever do another book on my own if my life depended on it. But the, the, the question I have about the stories, Danny, are you allowed to tell them? What do you mean? Like, are you telling tales that were supposed to be kept in-house about bands and musicians? You know, you know so far, uh, good question. Um. And by the way, you probably asked me more poignant, good questions than anybody I've talked to in about a hundred interviews. Wow, thanks. <laughs> so I mean, you're you're on it. I mean, you you did your homework and you you read it, and people tell me they read it, and I ask them something about something in it, and they don't know, and I go blow me, and I hang up because <laughs> I, I want to be I want to be John Mellencamp of my next life. <laughs> 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 right? Yeah. But you know, it, I, I would love to do another one of these, but I would know how to do it better this time, cheaper. Each one of those books cost me 26 bucks. Wow. And and, and then when you start multiplying, I've given out uh, about 200 of them, you know, to potential reviewers. and I got one. This, yeah, good. I'm glad because you deserve it more than anybody. Um, you know, the thing is, 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 here's what I haven't done. And if you have any thoughts about this, I'd appreciate knowing. I haven't been reviewed yet by anyone. Ah, okay. In, in, in book world. I want to be told I can't string together a sense to save my life. That's what I want to read. I'm not going to read that. That's not going to happen. You know why? It's a great fucking book. I want, I want people of all sizes and shapes and colors and ages and preferences. I want them to read this book because this book isn't just about rock. This is about life. This is about getting by. This is about getting somewhere. That's what that book is about. 
dude, if I could do this, if I could get to the point where I'm talking to you right now in the middle of the night about me and my book, I scored. Yeah. You know, isn't it grand? It's great. Yeah. It's fucking great. Yeah. It's it's just it's just incredible that I ended up being the poser and the hoser <laughs> that they they got to do all these shows. Trust me when I tell you. And I believe me when I say it wasn't by accident. But fortunate. I uh I was in the right time at the right place when I put myself there, which is what I prefer to say. And and it's so great that that I got to be a part of this, you know, rather than a sideline. Um, it's amazing, it really is. And, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm very thankful for it, and I feel very fortunate. But after all that said and done, I have more dirt on those people than, that <laughs> than anybody. <laughs> and and if they cross me, I will fuck them over. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, of course. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know what? You know what? It, it, it was never. It was never. This writing, this stuff, was never about getting even with anybody or or, or revenge. Because I have plenty of those stories. That will be another story altogether. Yeah. And if I ever if I ever do it, I doubt I'll ever do that. I, I think that would be cold and wrong. Because mm. too many innocent people will be screwed in the process. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you go to a party and and, and you get high with somebody and somebody takes a picture of you doing a line or they say you did and you're fucked. You know, people these days, it's weird. These days, we're, we're in between the, the permissive area and the uh, super conservative area. Which one works? I think it depends on who you are and who they are. Mm. You got you to gotta, you gotta make sure you play it right. Mm. Just, like a, just like a nice chip shot. Mm. <laughs> yeah, right. fun. Come, on, come on out here anytime you want and, and view the collection. And, and now would be better than later. Okay. Because I am, I am actively trying, you know, to get rid of shit. And if you want to, on your own site and, and so forth, if you want to include any of that stuff as as we go along, I have great stuff. And here's the key thing about me selling my shit. I never collected my shit in order to make money on it. Now what I'm doing is I'm selling it to pay for the storage of it for the last 25, 40 years. <laughs> I swear to God. Here, think about this. I have five storage units, 2800 a month since 1995. Oh, wow. Add it up. Wow. I did, I did, it, I did it once, and I was horrified. I, 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 I was going to go light a fire to it. I mean, at what point do you say, enough? <laughs> and then, and then, and then, right from where I'm sitting right now, two doors down, about 200, 300 yards from here, I have another house, which is my office. But it wasn't always my office. I bought it because it was cheap. It was 400 grand in, in, in 2000. It's worth 3 million now. Uh. Oh, that might contribute to my tone of my voice. <laughs> I'm very happy about that, right? Oh yeah. Except here's the bad news. 
I don't want to sell, you know, so fuck off. Mm. All my stuff's in there. <laughs> and and it's got a guest house that my mom used for 20 years, and that place is stuffed. I mean, I've got so much shit. It's ridiculous, and it's the, it's the good shit. It's not, you know, all framed. It's not all pretty. It's all that great shit. Here, Don, Donnie, did any of the bands ever ask you for it? Huh? Any of the bands ever come back to you and ask you for it? Do the bands ever come back and ask me what? Ask me for it. Do you, do you have any of those posters from years ago? That oh, they might... yeah, sure, sure. And I give them to them immediately. Are you kidding? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, usually it happens when they're here, you know when we're doing the show and, and, and the ones that are really interested in that. And, and I, over the years, there's a number of people and, and believe me, not as many as you would think. Um, whatever, for whatever reason, they don't give a fuck about their heritage. And, and I do, I, I have insisted when I have like a, an exceptional poster that, that I've created or, you know, Something special, and 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 not, I'm not talking about going out of the way, and, and you know making a T-shirt up for somebody or anything like that. I mean that happens, but there's certain things that they could ask for that they never do, and every now and then, somebody will say, "Could could I have that?" You know, um, the the uh, I've taken people a number of artists. First time I had Eric Clapton in an arena, he asked me to take me on a tour of the, of the arena after sound check. Everybody was there, and he wanted to walk around unnoticed. I go, well, Eric, we have a problem here. He goes, what's that? I go, well, 15,000 people know what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, give me a T-shirt. Huh? Take off your shirt. And I think I had a Stone Temple Pilot shirt on. <laughs> okay. And, and he, I took it off and he put it on. And he said, let's go for a walk. Nobody touched him. Mm. Nobody looked at him. Yeah. He was wearing this stupid shirt. Oh, by the way, I was wearing his Armani. He switched with me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love it. I love it. Nice. And, you know, I love Jeff. I love uh, him and Jimmy. You know, my guy is Jeff. Yeah, Jeff Beck. Nobody likes Jeff. Mm. I have more guitars from him. I've got mm, 13 Jeff Beck guitars. Oh. Hello. Nice. Yeah, and they're beautiful. Nice. Oh, my God. <laughs> Half of them are from his collection, and the other are ones that I picked up, but... The last time he came over here, I'm, I'm sitting right here on the counter in my kitchen. There's a table and there's these areas of laying things. The last time he came here, I had 40 pieces laying here for him when he got here. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was like assaulting him. <laughs> he goes, he walks in and he gets three feet in the door and he sees all this shit. I mean, it's so... And on the counter, he goes, suppose you want me to sign all that? And go, yeah, I go, what's it going to cost? He goes, go a glass of wine, going to need it. 
and he, he, he strolled through this and he wrote all this obnoxious shit on every piece. He, he personalized it to you then. <laughs> oh, I, I love Jeff. Jeff and Johnny Depp. How about that Johnny Depp music that Jeff was making with him? Yeah. Fucking great. Hmm. And then and then he he went up. There's a spot in my house here above above the house. There's like a little yeah. From the street level to the top of the house where Jeff was sitting is almost 200 feet. And and when we got up there, Jeff goes, can you leave me here for a while? It'd be important for me to play some guitar in this beautiful space. He played for an hour and a half in his beautiful spot up, up above the house. And I recorded the whole thing. Oh, nice. Unbeknownst to him. And he left. And he, goes, he calls me the next day, he goes, do you record that? <laughs> and I go, yeah. He goes, send it. And I call him back, I go, it didn't record. He goes, you fucking asshole. <laughs> what a twat you are. Huh. You know, he goes, what? he goes, why wouldn't you record that? I go, I did. And, and I, I figured out later what happened. And, Oh, he was pissed. He said, I knew you were down there recording, you twat. It was brilliant, wasn't it? It was a great show. He did the most amazing one and a half hours of Jeff Beck Goose you've ever heard. Wow. I mean, it was, it was out of this world. I said, did you get anything out of it? He goes, yeah, I got a new song at least. I go, then shut up. <laughs> Fuck, I can't help it. I'm not a fucking technician, you cunt. <laughs> Danny, I gotta go to bed. I'm up early in the morning for work. Oh, oh, fuck! It's eleven thirty there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. All right, you old dog. All right, you old fifty-one-year-old dog. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Danny. Yeah, let's do it again. Uh, really, truly a pleasure talking to you. And by the way, um, I don't want to sound like you know one of those frisky girls or anything that says, I don't do this on a first day, but I don't talk with people this long. Just so you know, I, I really enjoyed you. All right. Thanks. Great. Thanks very much, Danny. Have a good rest of the night. All right, mate. All right. Take care of yourself. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Bye. All right. That is a wrap of not one, but two solid weeks that we spent with concert promoter, Danny Zalisco. And again, if you liked everything you heard here, then definitely go up to dzplive.com. Pick up your own copy of his book, All Excess. Yeah, it's available in other places too. I'm just throwing that out because that is the source. So, uh, you know, you might want to just go right to the source. But if not, it's available in a lot of other places as well. And of course, huge thanks to Danny for taking so much time and talking to Richie and giving us all of this great stuff. And definitely, if I am ever out in AZ and the memorabilia offer still exists, I definitely want to see it because I am a huge memorabilia and guitar guy. So next week is uh, the big episode 500. And you know what? As I'm sitting here mixing this, I still have no idea what we're going to do. Definitely have plenty of audio, but no uh, no big bang thing you want to throw out there. So, you know, I don't know. Again, it's it's coming up next week. I've got no idea. 
Richie's got no idea. Who knows? Maybe this is just going to be one of these things where we just take episode 500 and just pass it under the radar. Who knows? Stick around next week and uh, you'll find out as well. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week on episode 500, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.